0: the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it doesn't. AM 1420 WBSN presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Wisegare and Matt Costa
1: Good evening, and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. How's it going, Moniz? It's
2: going. It's going.
1: We're excited here to be on in primetime. We usually come on in the air at 10 p.m. Eastern time. each. Well, we're supposed to come on at 10 p.m., yeah. We're usually a little bit later than that because there's so much tech to set up here in the Spooky Studio to do this show. But we're usually on 10 to midnight every Saturday night talking about the paranormal. And we also broadcast on our website as well, SpookySouthCoast.com, where you can see inside the Spooky Studio we have cameras that actually run during the course of the show. So you can see our guests that are in the studio. You can see us talking. You can see Moniz making faces about what the guest is saying. Even I Don't do that. You're on TV. Now people can see you. So uh, – <laughs> We actually have a few special guests with us tonight because the silent assassin, Matt Costa, is still on the road. Uh, He's on his big trip. So we are here manning down the fort by ourselves. So I brought in some special guests with me tonight. We have uh, my son, Adam, and my wife, Jennifer, will be joining us tonight. And uh, they're very excited. We're going to be talking about The Walking Dead, which is taking television by storm. It's a show that everybody seems to be watching. And it's gone beyond just being a TV show now. We actually have people who are quote-unquote, preparing for the zombie apocalypse. So we're going to talk about all that during the course of the night. We're also going to talk about the show itself. We're going to talk about some of the character development, some of the things that have happened. Both myself, Moniz, and my wife Jennifer, we're all fans of the show. We watch the show. We've seen every episode, and we want to talk to you about it as well. So the phone lines will be open, 508 996 500 996 1420 Now, Adam, you don't get to stay up and watch The Walking Dead because it's on after you go to bed. And, and plus, I don't like it. Yeah, you don't like zombies. You can talk a little bit closer to the microphone, too. Go ahead. No. And so, are you scared of zombies at all?
3: Uh, no. I'm fine. Uh,
1: why don't you yeah. tell, everybody, tell everybody how old you are first? Seven. Almost eight, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, so, a little bit too smart for my age.
1: That might be true. And, obviously, very humble for your age as well. The, uh, <laughs> But uh, you've been preparing for the zombie apocalypse, have you not? Uh, mom's been, been training been preparing. you preparing well yeah.
3: at least i know how to cut a zombie with
1: a sword right is that that's going to be two your swords that's probably your your best bet to use swords that works out pretty well i mean daryl uses bow and arrow so that he doesn't have to waste ammunition so swords, two swords.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: plus
2: with swords you don't have to reload
1: exactly so, so how and are you going to do it And then slice them. right in like slice an x them. formation yeah there you go yeah, so yeah but you're, do you know any kids at school Did any of the kids at school talk about zombies ever
3: No, they've never heard of the zombie
2: apocalypse.
1: Really? Have you been telling them about it? No. Because they already think that what Daddy does for a living is really weird. (laughs) So I can't imagine it would be any better. Okay. (laughs) All right, so you can just chime in during the course of the program anytime, or if you get bored, you can just play your 3DS. Either way. Yeah. But uh, you are here. This is your first time being on the radio, isn't it? Yes. Right.
3: Same for moms, right? Mom?
1: This is your first time being on the radio too, right, Jen? Um, Maybe. You did have that uh, infamous television appearance, though, when you were younger.
4: I did. I did. I, w- I was on local TV.
1: and uh,
4: I was vomited on.
1: Yeah. I was. Uh, I didn't know if you wanted to share the complete story, but I'm sure Wild Bill Tickum still remembers that, too.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about having you come on the show for a long time. For one thing, people that are fans of the show, they always want to know what you're like because they want to know what kind of person puts up with me all the time. A saint? Yeah, you don't you don't have any comment on that?
4: Have I ever told you I like Monies?
1: <laughs> Normally not. No. This might be the Charming. first time. Charming. Yes, exactly. This <laughs> might be the first time you've ever told me that you enjoy Monies, but he uh the and after all it is my wife and my son that gave birth to the infamous catchphrase. Mo, uh, Adam, what is Monies? Monies is uh What? What do you to always say Monies is? Creepy,
3: creepy. <laughs> right, right. Okay, sorry. So, am uh, a big fan. <laughs> I'm just bad at it. I'm a big fan.
1: That's, that's okay. So, uh, we, you know, we've been talking about getting you on here, and one of the things that we've talked about in the past is doing an episode on the Twilight Zone because a lot of people don't know you're a huge Twilight Zone fan. A giant
4: True. Twilight Zone dork.
1: And you've seen every episode multiple times. And yes, yes. I'm interviewing Mom here now, buddy. <laughs> Hold on, you'll he, have your chance. He has
4: watched several marathons on sci-fi with me
1: so do you remember anything about the twilight zone adam
4: uh sometimes it teaches you
3: lessons and sometimes it's just a show
1: right but it was very cutting edge for its time because there were lessons in the show and jen being somebody who has been a writer and a, a literature fan your whole life i'm sure that's what draws you to it more than anything more than the paranormal themes which is what most people on this show would be interested in
4: Right, right. My, my top five favorite probably aren't very paranormal related.
1: Well, what's your favorite one? Why don't we? My
4: favorite is The Hunt.
1: And kind of just give everybody a refresher of what that episode's about. The
4: Hunt is the episode where the man takes his hunting dog out. They're chasing raccoons, and the dog falls in the water. The man jumps in after him. And when they come out of the water, they don't realize that they're dead. And basically, his love of the dog is what keeps him from following the path to hell, and he continues up the mountain to heaven.
1: And so that's one of those Rod Serling trademark, like, uplifting spirit of humanity type stories.
4: Right, right. The angel finally tells him dogs recognize the scent of brimstone. That's why they're not allowed in hell. And the man says, anybody that won't let Duke in can't have me, and he keeps on going. He thinks he's going to be in purgatory forever and then realizes that, you know, he narrowly met, you know, he tricked the devil at the gate.
1: And that's an episode that every time it's on, no matter what, <laughs> you, you know, there's 45 different marathons of the Twilight Zone every year, but that one seems to always make it into the marathon rotation.
4: It, it usually does. True.
1: And what are some of your, what are some of your other favorite episodes?
4: Um, I, you know, I,
1: I know mean, you like anyone with Burgess Meredith.
4: I do. I do. I like, you know, when he's the librarian that becomes obsolete. I like when, when um, everybody in the world dies except for him because he's reading in the bank vault. I also like the one where he plays the devil at the newspaper.
1: That was a good one. I saw that one recently with you.
4: Right, we we just watched that one.
1: Moni, do you have a favorite episode? Um,
2: yeah, actually I do. Uh, I was talking about this the, uh, the other day. It's the episode where... Um, there there's these big footprints outside and it winds up being you know um actually a, a like a alien from another planet they're trying to see if whether we're hostile or not and it they think it's a giant and it turns out to be a big balloon and the uh, the actual aliens are really tiny and
1: no oh, i don't know yeah. if i've ever seen that one sounds sounds interesting though i i do like i mean everybody talks about the classic episodes you know uh, anthony you know and uh, yeah. Uh, it's a good life, right? That's the name of that's that episode, a great one. and everybody talks about, you know, the talkie Tina episode, and you know, a lot, a, a lot of the ones that scare people are the ones that seem to be the most memorable. But to me, one of the more memorable ones that I saw, if if I got this right, it's Charles Bronson and Elizabeth Montgomery, and they're the two soldiers left after a nuclear war, right, from and,
4: opposite sides of,
1: and in the entire episode, nobody says a word once. So that's that's. There pretty are
4: two episodes where there's never any spoken Dad. words.
3: Can I just mention something? Sure. Um, how about you change the car- camera to the both of us because the other people might not know what we look
2: like?
1: That's true. Well, Moniz is handling all the cameras on Spooky TV at spookysouthwest.com. right over there. Plus
2: we're on radio, so that wouldn't make that much right. of a difference. Yeah.
1: The important thing is that the people can hear us. Oh. So <laughs> do, you, do you remember any of the episodes, Adam? Do you have a favorite episode? Can you remember any uh, of them? Not really. Say to serve men. What? Say, to serve man. That's my favorite. That's, that's one where, you know, they, there's, oh wait, there's a I book. I think I do have one. What's that?
3: Um, it was about the old man who always lies about stuff.
4: Oh, Adam's a big fan of uh, Mr., I believe it's Frisbee.
3: Who always lies about stuff. <laughs>
4: he exaggerates yeah. everything, and then what happens?
3: Um, He gets took into outer space, <laughs> and they tell them... That he's a really bad person, right?
4: Well, he goes, they take him on a spaceship because they think he's the smartest man on Earth, and then he has to tell everyone that he's just a liar. Wow. Oh, Wow.
1: That, uh, I don't know if I've seen that one either, but it sounds like an interesting one. That was a good episode.
4: That's, that's a good one.
1: Well, I'm thinking that what we can do now is, if I can find my notes, I think they're over there under the uh, headphones, Moniz. I think we can probably, there's another page too, please, if you don't mind. Moniz is the go uh, director... Uh, you know, chat room manager slash gopher on the show. He what does gopher mean? It means I tell him what to do, and he just does it. You know what uh, a gopher is in the entertainment business? What? Go for coffee. Go for sandwiches. Uh. You just go for whatever I tell you to go for. <laughs> <laughs> ah, good. My brand of humor only works on seven-year-olds. But, uh, what I'm thinking is before no, we get rolling, all the time. that's true too. Before we get rolling in the discussion on the walking dead and about zombies in general, uh, we'll leave the fall lines open too. If you want to talk about one of your favorite episodes of the twilight zone, feel free. The numbers are 508 996 500 996 1420 You could also email us spooky crew at spooky South com, or you could also jump in the chat room on spooky TV at spooky South coast.com. But I'm thinking that before we do that, um, Moniz, uh, I I want to do a little bit of a weak and weird thing here, too, uh, before we're coming in. But I wanted to ask you, have you been following up at all on the Chilean UFO sighting? Is there anything you can share with people about that? I've
2: been too busy with work stuff. Unfortunately, I haven't. I've heard about it. Uh, I know that there's several videos and uh, tons and tons and tons of witnesses. I just haven't had the chance to really get into it other than the cursory examination. All right.
1: Well, I think it's time. Anyway, that we should get a little bit weird. What do you think?
2: Go for it. All right. More bad news.
0: Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. Yeah, we gotta be, gotta be week. I feel, I feel so very weird. We the, week.
1: <laughs> the Week and Weird. All right, our first weak and weird story here. This comes from uh, California here. In a new exercise by a California organization that studies lucid dreaming, volunteers have been conditioned to dream near-death experiences, including the classic scenario of flying toward a light at the end of the tunnel. The researchers say their experiment demonstrates that these heavenly visions must be products of the human mind... Rather than supernatural phenomena. In the sleep experiment at the Out of Body Experience Research Center in Los Angeles, four groups of 10 to 20 volunteers were trained to perform a series of mental steps upon awakening during the night that might lead them to have an out of body experience. If able to separate from their bodies, they were then conditioned to try dreaming about floating through a tunnel toward a bright light. Eighteen of the volunteers said they were able to dream such an experience. More than 8 million Americans have had a near-death experience, and they most often occur during states of anesthesia-induced sleep, according to the Center. Prior work by neurologists suggests that near-death experiences are indeed generated by the same brain mechanisms that cause lucid dreams. And Moniz, I've wondered about this for a long time. We've talked about it here on the show in the past. A lot of these out-of-body experiences that people have and, and these near-death experiences that they have, I wonder if it's because they're conditioned so that's what a near-death experience is supposed to be. So you may just be having a dream of an NDE.
2: Well, the problem with that is you've got people from other cultures without their different backgrounds you know, reporting the same thing. Mm-hmm. So conditioning? Yeah, if you're talking about people here in this society, but somebody in, from, like, South America, where things are completely different for them, in, in their belief systems, I'm talking the natives, not just, you know, it would be something completely different. Why are they having the same experience then?
1: Well, I've, I do think that it's interesting the work that they're doing. And w- we should probably try to get people from the Out of Body Experience Research Center in Los Angeles to come on the show and talk about their work. Uh, previously, we've had uh, Dominic Adasani of the Lucid Dreaming Institute come on um, and and. I think it would be interesting to try to get some dialogue going between those two sides. I think I saw Chris in the chat room, so maybe he can help us set that up, and that might be a good topic of discussion for a future episode, because I have had some listener requests in recent weeks for more episodes about lucid dreaming. And I've I've been successful at it a few times when I've tried to attempt it, but I've had that typical stumbling block of once it starts to happen and I realize it's happening, I wake up. So, who knows, I can try a little bit more, although my wife tells me no more mugwort under the pillow. (laughs) It leaves a stain. So... All right, our next story comes from McAllen, Texas. A Texas teenager charged in the stabbing of his 14-year-old friend said a Ouija boy told him to carry out the attack, police said on Friday. The 15-year-old boy has been charged with attempted murder after stabbing his friend with a 4-inch knife on February 29th, a awarded area behind a high school. The victim was treated in intensive care for three days for a severe laceration to his intestine. The alleged assailant, whose name was not made public, has no history of mental problems or criminal behavior. After stabbing him, the boy took his friend to a nearby auto repair shop so the owner could call an ambulance. A third boy said he witnessed the stabbing and that this knife-wielding friend told the victim to say he fell on the blade. Marketed by Hasbro, the Ouija board has a flat surface marked with letters, numbers, and symbols. It is used as a seance game that is said to help players communicate with the dead. The police called the case a little eerie but said investigators believe the boy used the Ouija board to rationalize. The attack. So we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The idea that the paranormal is being blamed for a lot of these crimes. People are actually committing murders in the name of the ghost Told me to do it. The devil told me to do it. I found out from the Ouija board. And I think it's I think it's an easy cop out for a lot of these kids. Uh, I guess this is also it's kind not of not just
2: kids. Some adults.
1: That's Hold true too. too, but it's also kind of the flip side of what we were talking about last week when we tried to discuss whether or not the idea of the bloodletting episode of Ghost Hunters International had an influence on people within the field and if you know they if they were irresponsible for showing that. This is the other side of the coin. As much as I tried to argue that you know it's not TV's job to to do this, I, I think that that's probably a good reason why kids like this are learning to blame the paranormal and, and like I said even adults are learning to blame the paranormal for some of these crimes
2: well that's blaming the paranormal has actually been around longer oh, than yeah. television oh know. yeah the yeah. Uh, bell witch yeah.
1: yeah. I mean and that's just that's even just a more recent example that's not even we can go back to you know caveman times and they'd make a drawing and say Burr, murr, ghost yeah. so all right before we come out of the week and weird I will I'll ask my wife what do you think about you you, you read a lot of stuff about true crime and Murders and things like that. What do you think about people blaming Ouija boards and all that? Do you think that that, do you think the prevalence of the paranormal in the media can lead to that? Can sure, could. okay. <laughs> she's like, yeah, leave me alone. I'm texting. All right, that does it for the week. And weird this week. If you have a story you'd like us to talk about on the show, just email us spookycrew at spookysouthcoast dot com, and we'll be glad to discuss it. Why
3: do kids blame the paranormal?
1: I think because it's a really easy way to – it's almost like if you had a little brother or sister, say, and you made a mess or you broke something or you did something that you weren't supposed to do, it would be easy to always try to blame the little brother or the sister, especially if they couldn't talk for themselves because they were too young. So if you knocked over a a glass and it broke and you had a two-year-old brother who was walking around and couldn't say that it wasn't him that did it, you'd be able to say, oh, he did it. So and that's kind of what it is with the paranormal. The kids, the the people that commit these Which crimes, it is mean. But the people who commit these crimes blame the paranormal because the paranormal is not going to be able to defend itself. If if you say, "Oh, it wasn't me. A ghost did it," it's not like the ghost is going to be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on a second. I didn't do it. Adam did it." See what I mean? I didn't do anything. I know. It's just an it's just a for instance. Yeah, okay. yeah an example. All right. So now let's let's switch gears here and and get into talking about the walking dead and we we've been talking about this in my house for the last what's it now it just finished the second season yep and there's a great quote that i read about the walking dead online and i I just want to bring this up because this is how i feel about the show and i've been saying it since day one and i know a lot of other people feel differently the quote that i read said i watch it because i really I, i don't watch it because it's a good show i watch it because i really want it to be a good show and that's kind of how I feel about the show. I feel like the premise, the idea behind it had such promise, and, ha- and I've never read the comics, and I'm not going to read the comics because I don't want to ruin what happens in future seasons because I enjoy watching the program, but it just doesn't seem like it's been as good as I thought it would be. It's not what I expected it would be at that level of just intensity. Instead, it seems so much like it's a lot of people standing around and fighting. And that seems to be the case. Now, now Jen, you were uh, a fan of it pretty much from the first episode, which I'll admit the first episode was amazing. Right. And what was it that – I was surprised. <laughs> I have to admit. I was surprised. I, I,
4: don't, I, <laughs> I don't know what you want, want me to say about
1: it. Well, I was surprised when the ads started coming on for the show, and I looked at it and I said, all right, that's something that I would definitely be interested in, a show about zombies. But I was a little surprised that you were interested in it. What was it that drew your interest when the commercial started airing. It
4: just seemed like something that had not been done before. And as you know, Tim, I'm a huge fan of The Stand. That's true. And to me, it's, it's in a similar vein where something catastrophic happens that reduces the population to such an extreme that they're forced to basically start over.
1: We actually fight a lot amongst ourselves <laughs> about what is the best Stephen King book. Is it The Stand or is it It? It's definitely The Stand. And I think it's definitely It and chris is out there listening he can be the the tiebreaker but uh actually i think he's going to side with you and me because i think he likes both equally but
2: i think you're both wrong i think it's christine
1: really you think it's christine
2: i like cars okay
1: (laughs) well Moniz, what what drew you about the uh what, what was it that drew your attention about the show
2: well, I'm preparing for the zombie apocalypse. That's
1: what I figured you would say. And uh, is that no? Is that really though what you've been thinking over <laughs> the years? Because I, I have to be honest, I'm 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 a little, uh, I'm a little tired of the phrase zombie apocalypse. I'm I'm tired of seeing you know Jason Hawes every day posting on Twitter or Facebook about you know doing this in preparation for the zombie apocalypse. Seeing you know all my paranormal friends talking about how they're preparing for the zombie apocalypse. You know it's 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 getting tired already, and. I don't think
3: The zombie apocalypse is actually going to come.
1: You don't think so?
3: Yeah, because number one, nobody has ever seen a zombie.
1: Have you been to Haiti? Uh, Right,
4: right. It's good segue for Moniz's. And number two, have you
1: been to any of the lectures that I give? No, (laughs) because there's usually a few zombies walking out of those. (laughs) Kidding me? I am. Well, here's the other thing. I mean, I don't want to get religious here, but you know, Christ did say the dead will rise. And, uh, you know, he didn't say whether or not a bunch of people in Georgia were going to try to defend us all from them. But uh, I know, Bonies that you're – I mean, any kind of show, with an, like, just like with Jennifer, any kind of show that has an apocalyptic vein, it's going to kind of draw your attention a little bit too. Uh, was the show – has the show turned into what you expected that it would be?
2: Actually, I was surprised and pleasantly surprised that it turned into something better than I thought it was going to be. Really? Um I, I originally thought it was just going to be a bunch of shoot 'em up bunch of bullets in the brain pan type of thing, which does happen in the, in the show, but I am definitely enjoying the social dynamic of the survivors See? because that is more accurate to what would really, really happen in a, a stressful situation like, a, like what you have, and it doesn't have to necessarily be zombies. You can have a zombie apocalypse of sorts like if society collapses, if all of the, you know, the banks fold and everybody, you know, uh, all our communications, you know, if people can't walk around with their little crackberries and get their double mocha lattes at Starbucks anymore. You're going to see a bunch of zombies walking around.
1: But that's not just from the eating the caffeine fix either. No, but
2: you understand what I'm I saying. What when, when the society breaks down or the machine that controls our society. Yeah, you're going to have these zombies walking around.
4: What well, did you think of Dale. Did you like Dale?
2: I I thought his character added a very decent... uh, uh, Let's... Let's just say there's always going to be one of those type of survivors in the situation.
4: That's my problem with them killing Dale off. To me, Dale was the moral Oh, wait. Compass. Hold on.
1: Spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't oh, <laughs> kept up to date. Sorry. No, that's okay. I should have said that earlier in the show. We are going to be talking about the show right up until the latest season finale last Sunday. So if you haven't seen it, you know, feel free to turn us off and, and listen to the podcast later on after you've caught up. But go ahead. Sorry. To,
4: to me, Dale was the moral compass. He was the person that no matter what happened, he was going to look at it from every angle and try and keep society the way that it was with the checks and balances of decency. And to me, when they killed him off, it was just a huge blow because most of the people, you know, wanted to kill that Randall guy without really knowing if he was going to do anything wrong. And Dale was kind of the one that was the holdout. You know, and then you find out Andrea is an ACLU lawyer or was in, you know, when things were normal, I guess, is how you would call it, or the previous. And she didn't even want to defend the guy. Until Dale had made his argument, and so t- to me, it was kind of a huge you know you lost your moral compass mm-hmm. he 's gone, and I put on Facebook <laughs> that I cried, and I got a lot of flack for it. A lot of other fans told me that they were glad that Dale was gone a lot
1: of a lot of male fans a probably, lot of male fans male
4: fans more than anything
1: well to, to me, like I do understand the need to have that character. Uh, But I do also think that they made him, as that moral compass, way too one-dimensional. And again, I I am going to preface this with none of us have read the comics, and I don't want to get into a debate about the comics versus the show, because they're two different entities. The the producers of the show have said they're using the comics as a guideline, but they're not going to use it as the be-all, end-all for storytelling. Uh, So in my eyes, you know, you did need a moral compass, but you didn't need it to be so... It just seemed like no matter what, you know, he was never going to surprise you and be like, you know, you're right. I think we should kill him.
2: You're saying you want a moral compass, not a moral GPS.
1: Yeah, I want there to be a little bit of fluctuation. You know, it doesn't have to be exact and precise. Yeah. And I think if he had been a little bit more, um, if he had a little bit more of an edge to him instead of just being a goody two shoes type character, then it would have made for a more complex character. But then again, when you look at all the characters of the show, they. Pretty much are all one-dimensional.
2: They're archetypes. They're meant exactly to be.
1: Yeah. yeah, and and that's the idea is that they should be archetypes of what would happen when the world ends and, and what kind of well, people would be placed kind in that of community. A comic book thing too, to some degree too, but I, I think mean, it's Batman more of
4: an. Batman ap- was Batman. They really, you, you knew what you were getting. You
1: know, but I think it's also more of a, of an apocalyptic tale motif as well because you saw it with the stand. You know, you had right. a lot of characters that were those type of characters too. Uh, what what bothered me about it though is that they were so black and white, and the only time that the characters really started to show some development was in the rare instances, maybe this season toward the end. You saw uh, Glenn; uh, that's that's his name, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you saw Glenn, you know, kind of develop a little bit more of an edge. You saw what a lot of people criticized the Shane descent, and from being kind of, you know, morally obtuse to being outright evil. You saw more of that descent. I
4: liked Shane the first season. I really did. The second season, you know, to some extent I liked him, but there was parts that I just thought were too far.
1: But but when you say that you liked him too, even if the character got a little bit too far, you still like the idea that he was there. Right. It's
4: it's very... I don't really know the word to use, but it's going to be an interesting third season with, you know, your moral high ground and your moral low ground both... mm -hmm basically there's no way they can come back,
1: yeah, and now you 're operating in that gray area You've got all, all the time, those,
4: yeah, those middle people
1: and that's that's kind of what was probably the most interesting moment of the entire season for me was when the character of Rick has that little bit of a break in his you know in that here I am i 'm the sheriff, you know i'm the leader, Red i'm the protector to protect everyone and when that finally started to break down, and why did it break down? It broke down not because the situation got too intense for him you know in that regard it broke down because the weight of that kind of came crashing down I, on him
4: i think the reality that he had to protect his his family hit him too he's going to have a second child and he already has one and i think the reality that he needed to uh, he needed to protect them from the zombies as much as he needed to protect them from shane at that point
1: it's interesting that you mentioned carl <laughs> because carl is probably you know
4: we have many a carl discussion in our we house.
1: do in in my house and it's funny when i see that the internet community <laughs> reflects completely everything that you've said about carl uh, over the over the last two years and f- uh, as much as everybody i mean it seems to me that the most popular character far and away is daryl if you pay attention to daryl's grace, if you pay attention to the internet he is everybody's favorite character without a doubt
4: monies is our daryl
1: he is. He definitely is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <the only laughs> I don't know whether to be co- take it as a compliment or be insulted. Exactly. Yeah, but
4: why are you talking about... I would about, take it as a compliment. Like, I, I have often called Daryl bad.
1: Well, you haven't okay. seen um, the show. The Dad. zombie
3: apocalypse, <laughs> but they really aren't here. Well,
1: it's a fictional show. It's a made-up story. Oh. Like Pokemon. <laughs> Sorry. No like problem. Pokemon.
2: But you're right. I, I do have that kind yeah, you're, of Daryl type
4: of... You know, someone dies right. you move None on. Her- Pull the arrow <laughs> and keep
1: going, you yep. know? <laughs> so, but as much as Daryl's become that popular character, Carl is definitely the antithesis of that. <sighs> I mean, there there's uh, Twitter trends during the show while it's on. People are ha- uh, hashtagging, you know, kill Carl now. And it's terrible. Hey,
4: who wants to say that about the only remaining
1: child? Because I know. It's, it's a terrible thing to say, but that's just where the character has led people to feel. So... uh Uh, I
4: mean, you want to triumph. You want to triumph for a kid, but it's the apocalypse. Uh, How many parents out there would actually let their child out of their sight for prolonged enough periods of time that Carl can get into the kind of things he's been getting into? I, for one, honestly, if Adam wasn't with you, he would be with me if that happened. And and with that being said, I think we'd all be together most of the time if we could.
1: Well, we bring this up because I have this list here from collegehumor.com, which obviously is going to be edited for the airwaves. The top ten reasons why they should just kill Carl already. Number one, Carl, stay in the house. Number two, seriously, Carl, stay in the house. Number three, Carl, I don't want to yell, but it's the middle of a zombie apocalypse, and we're going to need you to stay close by. Number four, okay, buddy, can you be a good little sheriff and stay put? I don't know, guard the living room? Yeah, okay, here's a special hat. You're officially on duty to protect the couch cushions. Now just stay in the house. Number six, Carl... I'd ground you, but it seems a bit trite, what with the hordes of zombies outside trying to eat our faces. Number seven. Remember what happened when another little kid wandered off alone? You were here for that. Number eight. It's great you're keeping your childish rebellion alive, but if one of the bad guys gets you, daddy's going to have to shoot you in the head. Actually, this is number eight. Number eight. Please, Carl, just stay here. I'll be right back. Protect the couch cushions. Make some lunch. Get back to doing that math homework we inexplicably cared about four episodes ago. Number nine. Carl, really, I'm not screwing around. Please, Carl, just stay in the house. Do this one thing. Just stay in the house for the next five minutes. And the number 10 reason why they should just kill Carl already has anyone seen Carl? He's not in the house. So there you go. I thought that was pretty funny. That
3: was a little bit dumb.
1: (laughs) Well, you don't watch the show, so you you don't know what we're talking about. All right.
4: Okay. (laughs) Bye. Adam, where do I always tell you we're going to go if the zombie apocalypse comes? Where are we going to drive to?
3: Moniz's island,
1: right? <laughs> right, because Moniz does live on a little island, and he is uh, well armed, and but you say and you've been provisioned, and, yeah, and provisioned. But when you say that, uh, when you say that, you know, you've been preparing. I mean, what what really do you think is going to be coming down? I mean, do you think it's going to be zombies? Because you were telling us on the way here that there is a story out of out, yes, of, uh, out Africa of
2: Africa. Uh, believe it or not, there is an illness that's going around. I. I only had a cursory chance to read the article, and it's a type of illness that affects the brain, big surprise, and uh, causes people to basically go insane and start attacking each other. It's, you know, and they're kidding it to like a zombie.
1: And and what is the cause that they discovered what might be causing it?
2: I, it didn't say. I just, from what I read, it, it, it they were just talking about the symptoms. It How about you
3: look it up on Google. Did it help? No. Let me get
1: yeah. You're being called out by a 7 year old He's like, nice show prep, Moniz. <laughs> <laughs> Moniz didn't know in we long, were going to be talking zombies until on the yeah, way in. Them yeah, we told him on the way here. So, uh, the, well, one of the things that I, I think is the most interesting part of the finale of the season was when Rick admits that the... The guy at the CDC told him that everyone is infected and that we started to see zombies coming, not as a result of zombie bites or even scratches they were predicting, but because when they died, they just became zombies. And that's going to be problematic because sooner or later, most of the survivors that are there are going to die. They're just going to become more zombies, which, you know, it might be problematic for the survivors. You know who else is going to be problematic for the zombies, because sooner or later, there's not going to be enough living people for them to feed on. We already know they don't feed on each other. So that, that can pose some problems, don't you think?
2: Uh, severe problems, but they do feed on animals. That's yet true. You don't see any zombie animals in this TV series as of yet. Oh, we talked about that did, with
4: did, a cow, remember? Yeah, was that cow a zombie cow? No, it was the cow that the zombie ate before they got there, and the zombie that got Dale. But remember I said to you, I hope that's a zombie cow.
1: Because, you know, in Red Dead Redemption and yeah. Red, Undead Nightmare... There was zombie the animals. animals yeah. So and I, I enjoyed riding the zombie horse quite a bit. So you, you finally played the game? Yeah. Awesome. I told you it was good. Yeah, it was. See, I was trying to get him for months to play it and then uh, I'm glad that he finally got on board. So if you'd like to talk about the Walking Dead, zombies, anything I mean, do you think there's gonna be a zombie apocalypse? Do you think that zombies are coming and that we have to protect ourselves? And if so, what are you doing to protect yourself against them? Just give us a call. Five oh eight nine nine six zero five hundred one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. You can also email us Spooky Crew at spookysouthcoast dot com or jump in the chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com. dot com. It looks like the chat room's a little bit slow tonight, Monies.
2: Yeah, but then again, we're not on our normal. That's time, true. so Everybody's used to our yeah, ten to I midnight. I'm using my really
3: slow laptop.
1: It's. I use the netbook to run the chat room. Oh
3: yeah, and um. Anyway. Why would there really be a zombie apocalypse coming? But I'm just saying, I'm getting ready anyway. You're anyway, gonna, it's better. And if b- I get all all that preparation for nothing, I'm gonna be like.
1: <sighs> but at least you'll be well trained.
3: Yeah.
1: So if any kind of apocalypse comes, you'll be ready.
3: Yeah, but what happens if they have like um, a defensive armor thing on them?
1: Well, that's you have to talk to Moniz about that. I
2: have armor piercing. Don't worry.
1: He doesn't know what you're talking about, but he just agrees that it's a good thing. All right, again, one five five oh eight nine nine six zero five hundred one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty, and of course, it doesn't have to be just about zombies. We can talk about anything to do with the paranormal because that's what we talk about here on Spooky South Coast. If you're new to the program, you can just go onto our website, spookysouthcoast.com, and you can listen to every past episode. If you have iTunes, uh, you can download every episode of the show. You can stream them online at most podcasting sites, and of course, probably the best way to get the program now is through the Stitcher app on your smartphone or iPad. Because if you go to Stitcher. And you download the app onto your device. And then when you go to register for the device, which is totally free, by the way, then put spooky sc as the code, as how you heard about Stitcher. And just put spooky sc. And if you do, as soon as you go into our show and you play one episode of our show, you're going to be automatically entered to win a $100 cash card from Stitcher. So you can't go wrong. You're actually going to get paid to listen to the show if you're the lucky winner.
2: Which is great because we don't.
1: Yeah, we don't get paid. So if somebody's making money off the show, if it's a listener, we're fine with that too. So just go to Stitcher.com to find out more or go to SpookySouthCoast.com and click on the Stitcher slide in the slideshow to find out more. And then, You know what the cool thing about Stitcher is? is? You automatically get the latest episode delivered right to your phone. So you don't have to download it. You don't have to sync it. You don't have to take it off the computer and move it to your phone. You don't even have to worry about taking up space. You just open up that Stitcher app. Bless Thank you, son. You. you just open up that Stitcher app, and then you're ready to go. It plays right there. The latest episode is always right there. So, if there is a, a a zombie apocalypse, and you need to hunker down, at least as long as the internet is working, you'll be able to listen to our show on the Stitcher app. Not a bad deal. And there's enough uh, enough content out there to keep you uh, keep you going for many years. I think, Jen, I think this is going to be the first episode of Spooky South Coast you ever listen to, start to finish. I've listened
4: to. The show before, (laughs) you have,
1: yeah. Adam, I don't think you've ever listened to the show before.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Adam's in bed when the show is on.
1: Well, he's just learning how to use the the internet. Anyway, he has his own inbox now. You have your own inbox now.
4: I know. I listened to the Joe Who episode from start to finish, and then I, you know, yeah, you were not you
1: were not a fan of Joe Who.
4: I was not a fan of Joe Who. Somebody
1: from the Apocalypse. No, no, he was the <laughs> psychic that we had on the show. Well, then I'll ask you, what, who are some of the, your favorite guests that we've had on the show then? Not Joe Who. <laughs> okay. So it's like, it's like when Bobby Heenan said, Hulk Hogan's theme song is my second favorite so- song in the world. Everything else is tied for number one. <laughs> Joe Who is our second favorite Spooky South Coast guest. All right, well, why don't we take a break? When we come back, we'll talk more about the zombie apocalypse, about The Walking Dead, about The Twilight Zone, about The Paranormal, about anything that you want to talk about. Pretty much anything. The table is wide open. 508-996-0500. one 877 we are hoping that maybe our content director, Chris Balzano, will call in a little bit later on as well, too. And we can talk with him about zombies, about the Twilight Zone, about how it is a much better Stephen King book than The Stand. <laughs> no, no. And, <laughs> and a whole bunch of other topics as well. So stay tuned. We will be coming back with a lot more in just a few minutes.
3: And no talking about penises and junk.
1: Hey, there you go. <laughs> All
0: right. We'll be
1: right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. All right. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the si- science advisor, Matt Moniz. I'm so used to saying yeah. the silent assassin, Matt Costa, for so many years. He was here, here right by our side every week, and now he's not. Now he works and goes on trips and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, if Jen, if you want to become the new silent assassin, we could use one. You going to pass?
4: I'm not answering. I'm trying to be silent. Oh, okay. Passing. Okay. Adam's passing for me.
1: So we've been talking about The Walking Dead and about zombies in general. Uh, and one of the things that I see people on Facebook and Twitter always writing about is how they're preparing for the zombie apocalypse. And I'm wondering if anybody out there not just, are you preparing for it? Because, you know, I think a lot of us know it's a lot of fun. It's kind of just tongue-in-cheek that we're talking about this. But, I mean, what, what what do you think you would do if this happened? I mean, we were talking about how we would run to Moniz Island because, you know, it's heavily fortified, and we know that uh, it would be a, a safe haven for us where we'd be well protected. But, I mean, it, it just seems like a lot of what goes on on The Walking Dead and other zombie-type media projects, it seems like it... Uh, almost that it's... It brings out the worst in people more than brings out the best in them. It's not so much that it, it it shows how people can hunker down and survive, but it shows how, you know, infighting and paying attention to things that aren't important is what would rise to the surface. I mean, we look at our country in times of trouble and in times of war and times of attack and all this things, how we band together. But then you look at The Walking Dead and you say, that might not actually be that far off about how the people that I know would come together. Uh, or, in that case, people that don 't really know each other and how they would come together. what is for you Moniz, the most believable aspect of the show or zombie culture in general and and what to you is the least believable
2: The most believable is the 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 mindlessness of the zombie they 're just out doing you know looking for brains or whatever you know
3: crazy stuff yeah mm-hmm.
2: that that single folk single minded focus you know this what have you? The things that I find not too believable about it, well, uh, the fact that they're dead and decomposing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, you know, the, as a scientist, I, I'm wondering how the hell is yeah how is, would that work? Yeah, yeah, I could I could understand somebody infected like with a disease like what I was talking about earlier in Africa, where where the person's alive but their mental state is now. Gone, and they become this automaton that's going after people, and just as a reactionary thing, the the walking
1: uh, corpses, not so much. I mean, what what part of I, I just don't understand the physiology of the zombies. Of wouldn't the same mechanisms needed to make their muscles work enough to have them move forward and make sound and attack and eat and and the desire to eat. Which I'm assuming would probably be in the hypothalamus. I mean, wouldn't all of that need the body to be in working order?
2: Correct. That's what I was going after. It's like the the body is a connection of a bunch of systems. Mm-hmm. One part, one system goes down, the whole rest of the unit is affected.
1: So I, I'm going to guess then that we may find out, or maybe we don't find out, but maybe we find out at some point, at least in terms of The Walking Dead, that it's not a they're, they're not zombies per se. They're not dead and come back it's just some sort of disease that's attacking them. But then, I mean, that's what I, what I was feeling all along, but then you see them outright die and then turn into zombies immediately after that. And it's like, eh, it's kind of like, you know, the way the vampires have gotten, you know, it's like, we see this transition of, of how they can become the walking dead themselves, vampires. And it's just, it's not really believable. And I'm too much of a skeptic about some things to, to not have that enter my mind sometimes while I'm walking in the watching the show. I know, Jen, you don't get nitpicky like that about stuff.
4: I mean, it, it's a little strange that he killed Shane, turned around, and started walking back with Carl. And when they turned around, Shane was full out zombie with the gray face and everything. He had been dead for less than a minute.
1: Yeah, we've seen and other people die. He already had and...
4: started to look. Yeah.
1: We, we've seen other. I'm
4: with other... you on that, Moniz. that that's not really I plausible. Some people say that they have.
1: Some people do have like pointy vampire type teeth. Like you. You think I do? <laughs> have you seen Costa? <laughs> Matt, Matt Costa has fangs, and he's not afraid to show them. I've always suspected that he might have made them that way.
3: So he'll bite
1: people? No, he just wants you to think that he might bite you. There you go. That's a good one. So, to me, with, with The Walking Dead and with other zombie-type culture, the whole premise of it is is hard for me to believe. Uh, but I can understand the reaction of the living people, and to me, that's where, where the... Interest lies. And I just thought that this group of people, there's so many of them that I just don't care about. I mean, I tell Jen this all the time. I haven't even bothered to learn the names of so many of the characters. And so when they're talking about, oh, Jimmy and Patricia died, I was like, who, which one's Jimmy? Which one's Patricia? I don't know. I you can't, really can't tell? One no. was a man and one was a woman. Yeah, well, I know. I figured that much out. <laughs> but, uh, y- y- you know, and, and there's so many characters that seem to me like they're on the periphery and could easily have been eaten and gone. Already we're, I'm looking at you T dog and Carol, you know, you have these characters who (laughs) like, like Carol, somebody whose storyline, her story arc is kind of waned now. I mean, I guess you could say, how does she respond in the wake of losing her daughter? Uh, But, but to me, you know, those were the two most expendable characters and, and they're still in it. And I just think that maybe, you know, maybe we'll see more development out of them, but the writers need to kind of kick things in focus. We did comment all season about how there wasn't enough zombie action in this season, that they didn't have episodes where there were hordes of zombies coming near the farm or attacking the farm. And, and I, I read an interesting interview with, uh, with Kirkwood, the producer, where he was talking about that uh, they actually did that intentionally. They scaled back the zombies so that when that finale happened and there was a zombie herd, it would seem that much more effective. So it I think, worked.
4: I think you had to believe that the farm was safe. You had to buy Herschel's whole story about the farm being a safe haven and they didn't want to let people in because it was going to make it so that it was no longer his safe place.
1: But at the same time, you know, you got to go with the moneymaker. You got to have what what the people came to see. And that's the zombies. That's the blood and guts. I, I I do think it's kind of funny, though, how they tried to pull that whole Team Rick and Team Shane thing, like the fans, like, oh, I support Rick, I support Shane. You can't support Shane. You can't support the, the negative side of things. They're giving you that. From what I understand, the character of Rick has more of that dichotomy within him in the comic. And they chose to reflect it with another character in this one. But All right. We are coming up on the break. When we come back on the other side after the news, we'll talk more about some paranormal topics. We'll kick a whole bunch of stuff around. Uh, we'll leave it up to you guys if you want to stay and be guests for the second hour. But Moniz and I will still be here for sure. And we will con- not
3: going to say the bad words again. Right. we yeah, just okay. said by accident.
1: And uh, we're going to take your calls as well, 508 996 500 crew 1-877-996-1420. Email SpookyCrew at and, of course, a chat room at SpookyTV at SpookySouthCoast.com. During the break, if you need something to do, feel free to jump on to LegendTrips.com and purchase your ticket for Graveyard Shift at Slater Mill coming up on April 21st. The Slater Mill Museum in Pawtucket, Rhode Island is the oldest mill in the United States. And uh, we will be there along with Jeff Belanger, Keith and Carl Johnson, Andrew Lake, Mm -hmm. uh, Pam Patilano, and Tiffany Rice will be there. Uh, We're going to be having our usual legend trips fun. We're going to be having uh, dinner. And the Uh, star
3: of it, Dad.
1: I wouldn't go that far. The star of it's the ghosts. We're going to be having dinner, Q&A, lectures. We're going to have over four or five hours of investigation. We're going to investigate all the way until 2 a.m., uh, all the the buildings on the Slater Mill site, which is two different mills and the Sylvanus Brown House. So we're talking about some very, very interesting buildings to investigate. And of course, a lot of activity happens there. They have the ghost tours every week. And uh, even on the ghost tours, they get activity. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like when we're focusing primarily on the investigation itself. Tickets are $99 per person. We also have a special room rate at the Comfort Inn in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, which is located just about a mile from Slater Mill, a special room rate of $79 per night for that entire weekend. So if you want to stay down there for the entire weekend, $79 a night. That's $20 off the normal rate if you book and mention that you're part of the Legend Trips block. So again, legendtrips.com is the website. That's where you want to go to buy your tickets to Graveyard Shift at Slater Mill. And we actually have some really interesting stuff coming up uh, in the future. I don't want to announce it yet, but we will be having some... We're going to be at Lizzie's again in the summer. So uh, stay tuned to legendtrips.com for that. Uh, That announcement will probably come sometime after uh, the Slater Mill event. So uh, we'll be right back after the news with more here on Spooky South Coast.
0: I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does not AM 1420 WBSL presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa.
1: All right, welcome back. Our number two is Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the science advisor, Matt Moniz. The silent assassin, Matt Costa, is out and about. Last I heard, he was in New Orleans.
2: He's in New Orleans. Huh?
1: He's stopping there. He's driving across country, so he's going to be gone for a few weeks, but he'll be back uh, hopefully by April 21st because he's got to man the boards and man the studio while we're gone at uh, Graveyard Shift at Slater Mill. Again, remember, legendtrips.com is the website. If you want to purchase tickets, it's also linked up in the slideshow. On SpookySouthCoast.com as well. $99 to investigate for hours and hours and hours with the Spooky crew, Jeff Belanger, Andrew Lake, and the Johnsons, Keith and Carl Johnson, at one of the most haunted locations in Rhode Island, the Slater Mill Museum. Three buildings, pizza, probably pizza, lectures, Q&A, hanging out. It's just going to be a great night. I'm excited for it because I, I haven't investigated there before, so I love going to places that I've never been to before.
2: Let's not forget the Swedish Fish.
1: Yes, the Swedish Fish will be there. I think uh, I think I just polished off the rest of what was left over from <laughs> the Dead of Winter. But it uh, should, should be a fun time. So, again, legendtrips.com if you want to purchase your tickets, but buy them soon because they are going fast. Now, in the first hour of the program, we talked uh, uh, quite a bit about The Walking Dead, about zombies, about the quote-unquote zombie apocalypse that many people have been Semi serious, semi kidding, that they think is coming. Uh, but I do think that uh, there there is a need to be prepared for eventualities. I mean, you need to be ready, uh, as we saw with these storms and these Midwest tornadoes recently. You know, you do need to be ready. And I think that one of the things that the zombie apocalypse joking around has kind of gotten people into the vein of is yeah you do need to be prepared you do need to be concerned that these things might happen so if there turns out to be some sort of benefit from that i'm all for it
2: hmm. Does, I, I don't know if i'd go as, be prepared
1: i don't know if i'd go as far as you have been prepared <laughs> where you're essentially you know the national guard is calling you up and being like hey monies can we borrow some guns we don't have enough sure and uh, but I mean, well let me ask you a little bit about this. What what was it that made what, what is it that you decided that you did want to start preparing for, or was it just a matter of, you know, you wanted to just collect them?
2: Well, I've always been into you know, shooting and stuff like that, but uh I've been also preparing, you know, in case of other emergencies, it's not just quote unquote zombies. Like I said, you have the faux zombie apocalypse like what I was talking about earlier. If society will turn into zombies once the internet goes down and the banks no longer have money and the electricity gets shut off, yeah, you're going to have the zombies. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, the sheltered society that we live in, people are so... Used to having everything readily at their fingers because of everything working. If that all falls apart and they can't get on their crackberries and go get their double mocha lattes at Starbucks, they're going to turn into zombies. I'm sorry.
1: Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, it's, it just remember, it was only 10, 15 years ago before everybody had a cell phone, before everybody had an internet access. I was talking about this uh, the other day with a guy, you know. Is there any way that you feel more naked now than if you leave the house without your phone? I'd sooner walk out the door without my pants than I would my phone. The only reason that I have both is because my phone is usually in my pants pocket. <laughs> and if it wasn't there, I might be walking out there in just some shorts and, you know, and holding, holding my phone. But you feel like you're helpless if you don't have that with you. So You know, some some people. Um, Especially those who are completely wired in. We do have those people out there, and I'm, I'm kind of one of them. You know, I've got Twitter, Facebook, uh, emails, all that stuff coming in on my phone all day, so I, I do check them and I do pay attention. Now, with my new job where I am, I no longer have a signal. So the first thing that I did when I started the job is, you know, most people would ask, you know, what's the pay, you know, uh, how often do I get paid. You know, what days do I get off? Anything I'm supposed to work? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, my first question is, I notice there's no Wi-Fi in here. Can I put on a router? <laughs> and <laughs> it's because we've become so connected that we can't go a couple hours without being able to check our phones.
2: Go back 20 years ago. we Cell phones weren't as prevalent as they are today. They were, there was really what, a handful of bag phones and, mm-hmm. you know, you had the brick in the 80s, late 80s and stuff like that. Also but,
1: known as the Zach Morris cell phone for say by the Bell fans.
2: Oh, okay. But you you get my point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we lived without the cell phones. The mm-hmm. internet was uh, a set of bulletin boards, basically. It, it, it isn't like what we have today. And, and we got along just fine without it. Mm-hmm. And uh, if all of this stuff does, you know, go down, I know I would really have no problem adapting right back to it, only because you know I came from a time before it.
1: Well, the information exchange, I think, would be a severe crippling blow because we have become so dependent on the Internet for commerce. We've become dependent on it for communication. You know, it, it is, it's quickly replacing a lot of the traditional media that we had and changing the way that we get our information. Uh, but one of the issues, too, with it is it's also developed into a way for people to no longer communicate face to face. Right. And I'm not, I've never really been a, a very big fan of random conversation with people. I don't know, but on the internet, I have no problem doing that. So it's kind of funny here. I am talking, yeah, an on radio, but yeah, but, <laughs> but you know, it, it just in a one-on-one situation, I'm quiet. Until I kind of get a feel of the situation with the internet, you don't have to do that. But I'm wondering how many people are incapable these days now of having that face-to-face human interaction without a screen and a keyboard between you and the other person.
2: I think that okay. Uh, now we're I know we're getting off topic here, but
1: no, no, this this uh, this can be the topic. We're uh, going wherever the conversation well, leads. Well,
2: this leads to what what we have as being a a precursor for this faux zombie apocalypse I'm talking about. People are used to being isolated from each other Mm -hmm. and because they're further isolating themselves from each other and not working as a, uh, a community like they used to in the past. We're all strangers. So it's much easier once, you know, everything falls apart to take something from a stranger than from a friend. Yeah. Got what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely. And one of the other problems too, especially specific to the paranormal community is, which is, of course, the bread and butter here on Spooky South Coast, if you don't have that internet communication, that's going to be a severe crippling blow to the paranormal community because that's where that exchange of ideas comes from. I think if you put these group, you know, everybody wants to talk about paranormal unity, uh, and i got to tell you, I'm, I'm over that. <laughs> because that topic has been abused more than it's been... Uh, you know more than it 's been respected and admired it's it 's been abused over the last few years, but you know everybody wants to talk about paranormal unity and working together well what the reason why that can happen is because you 're a group in Oregon saying that you have no problem working together with a group in Pennsylvania, but the two groups that are in neighboring towns in Pennsylvania probably don 't really want to work together. You know it sounds good on paper, but when they 're too close and they 're edging into each other 's territory then there 's going to be a problem
2: you, you hit the nail right on the head. You said the word territory. Yeah. Okay. Like, uh, uh, this is my sovereign land. When it comes to things like the unexplained, it doesn't know boundaries. Okay. Mm -hmm. It happens around the the globe and this and that. You you may live in a particular area and yeah, this something may be closer to where you live, but it's not yours. And it, it, it is the subject as a whole. And I think that's where people are getting, you know, I live in this area, so this has to be mine.
1: And, but you're also talking, too, about a boundary, like a physical boundary, a physical geographic territory. Not just that. I mean, how many different groups go into the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast and have experiences and gather evidence, yeah. you know, and and I mean, there's been people that have said to us, well, I know Lizzie Borden's is your territory, but we're coming there. And I'm like, it's. It's, nobody's territory
2: it, it, it's it's our familiar place and is it our territory no we're very closely associated with it because it's so close to us mm-hmm. but unlike what has happened with other groups in the past we wholeheartedly encourage people to come and, and experience
1: and i think that's where the the internet is a huge portion of that paranormal unity that they speak about because it enables you to connect with those groups i think that it would be a lot more closed of a field if it was the normal communication i mean ask people like john zaffis ask people like even if you want to talk to jason and grant about what was going on in the 1990s before you know they jumped on the internet and handled everything talk to these people that have been doing it for a number of years and they'll tell you that it wasn't always easy To communicate with one another and that the reason why they say well the field couldn't really move forward because people were working against each other No, they weren't working against each other they just didn't have the ability to work with each other now I know that I can put something up on paranormal peer review on Facebook and I can have you know 500 pairs of eyes look at it in a matter of hours and they can tell me and if they've had similar experiences they can share and they're willing to do that and I think if you didn't have that type of communication ability Uh, It would be a lot more like people wouldn't be willing to send out a photo because everybody wants to put a photo on the Internet because you're going to get instant reaction to the evidence that you captured. Nobody's going to be trustworthy enough to feel like they can mail that photo out to 10 different paranormal groups that they don't know and say, hey, just give me your thoughts because you never know if, you know, somebody's going to claim that as their own. So what was it like for you being in the paranormal in the pre-Internet era? (laughs) Not not to
2: date you, but. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I've been doing this stuff since before 1985. And uh, the way that we got around in terms of information was obviously through the books, dealing with the um, the people like Hans Holzer and, and, and the like. But the only way that we could get, you know... Um, organized and it, it, even back then there weren't really any groups back when I first started doing yeah. this i started a group called project find well me and several other people started it at bristol community college in late 1980s and um we 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 organized it as some as a an activity group for, for people in the school you know well and uh, It got a lot of interest and stuff like that. And we all had our own little things that we would do and contribute to it. But we were all individuals working in a group. Here's what we went out and did this weekend. Everybody would toss their stuff on the table. Here's what I got. Here's what I got. This is where I went. And it it was a a collaborative, unlike what we have today. I'm the leader. You're the tech manager. You know, this hierarchy, you you know, and –
1: well, that, I think a lot of that is because of the television yeah. presentation. Yeah. You know, when everybody's in the opening credits and everybody has a role, you know, those roles are defined not because yeah, those we roles the were group,
2: defined by by the studios, yeah, correct?
1: By the producers, because you know everybody has to have their their certain position. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't roles that existed within paranormal groups before that, but I think that the strong emphasis on needing to have those uh, classifications have come from from television. But the question that I wonder is. If you were out there and you you have this group and you were active back then, how did people find you if they needed your services? I mean, were people taking out ads? word of mouth? Really?
2: Quite simply, word of mouth. And I mean, we had our posters up and around the school and whatever, and people we'd solic- solicit people to tell us their stories or if they had something, you know. And, and it, the group, I should clarify, wasn't just about ghosts. It was about UFOs. Mm-hmm. About it, it was about Project Fine. It was a purge. Purpose of looking for answers to the unexplained, all unexplained. And we had people that liked their own little field, but we all shared everything together collaboratively. Sure. So,
1: And, you know, I know that you were lucky enough to have a mentor who you yes. worked closely with as you were coming up and learning. Uh, and that was, I mean, and how did you guys end up hooking up?
2: Uh, that wound up... It, t- Believe it or not, bookstore Crystal Expectations. Believe it or not, really? one of our old uh, sponsors. Yeah, uh, I I would go into you know bookstores and buy all kinds of books on you know ghosts, psychic powers, UFOs, You know all of the unexplained. That's the only way you got information back then was mm-hmm. go looking for you know whoever published what whatever. The proprietor, uh, CJ, mm-hmm. also uh, became very good friends with me and. Of course, she knows all her customers coming in and she noticed that I had the same interest as another friend, Maurice, who wound up becoming my mentor. And she introduced me to him and Maurice had been in the paranormal and UFOs and all of that, you know, for like 25 years before me, before I ever started. So he mentored me through all of the – because I was buying various books willy-nilly and in no particular order trying to make sense of it. He's like, no – this is what you want to do. You want to read this one first, then follow up with this, and then read this person following the progression of this. Otherwise, it's going to take you forever to sort it all out. You know, of, I got lucky.
1: Well, while we're talking earlier tonight about the book it, it's kind of like when Mike Hanlon starts putting together the history of Derry. And, and the, uh, the old librarian who's in his 90s tells him, all right, take this book, this book, this book, and this book. He's like, all right, you want me to read all those? He's like, no, take those and throw them in the trash can. And and that's kind of what you need to do. Yeah. You need to figure out because especially in the 80s, I noticed this going back through the titles. I mean, obviously I wasn't going to bookstores in the 70s and 80s when I was, you know, 2 and 3 years old. But I've noticed that going back through the titles that the ones that have survived are almost few and far between over the years compared to the market that was out there for these books following in the wake of shows like In Search of that's right. incredible things like that. Right. But there must have been such a glut of books like that that were just utter crap, crap. that yes. were basically like just off the pages See, of the th- National Enquirer. That's
2: that's exactly what I was talking about. I, I didn't I, – it was hard separating the wheat from the chaff. And I got lucky and had my friend Maurice. He he was involved with people in the Ryan Institute and, mm-hmm. th- and things, serious paranormal research stuff. And he turned me on to all of the right things to read. It's like I could still read what I call the fluff as well you know it's fine because there's a couple of little nuggets in here sure. that's always interesting to find but if i wanted to understand the true history and what real uh investigation was like for these it was you know look at hans Holzer, look at uh charles burlitz look at you know a series of even though burlitz more of a fluff type thing but um
1: but i mean some of them though they do walk a fine line i mean even some of Holzer's work yeah and especially you know brad steiger, brad steiger. where this stuff but their work walks yeah. that line of yeah. being a ghost story and a paranormal report at the same time right right and i think i think and this is something that i definitely think is a whole different he rogo
2: and a great mm-hmm. yeah you know.
1: and you know here's somebody here's the topic that i think is a whole other show unto itself but and it's something that chris and i talk about all the time but the ghost story has to be there. You know, we just got the galleys that, well, we got the proofs for our book to kind of go over them and, and check them out. And as I'm looking at it, we're looking at the art and we're looking at, you know, some of the, the, the way that's being presented. We're like, Hmm, how does this sit with us? And then we, we realized that this is a book that's not about paranormal investigation. It's not about proving or disproving the paranormal. It's not about even furthering the study of the paranormal. It's just a bunch of stories about haunted objects. And that's what it is. It's getting back to the story. And I think that the good ghost stories are what you need to be at the center of everything. I mean, we we say now that we want to know what is the truth and what is, you know, fictionalized and when it comes to an investigation. You know, is the client telling the truth about what's happening to them? Are they embellishing it?
2: See, that's that's what's lost in a lot of these uh groups today they don't do good investigations of the people Mm. reporting the stories they're they're interested in the story and then getting immediately into the you
1: know how many times have we had cases brought to us where you know we're the ones that have to say to the group it's like take a step back think about who you're talking to here
2: right yeah i mean if the place had the history Previously that you know in in the newest person is coming up. Okay, yeah, I understand where they're coming from. You're getting somebody out of the blue, I think I'm having ghosts and this and that. Okay, that's well and good. Or you know, I I may be an abductee or what what have you. You have to look at the person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Get to know the person. What are their quirks and you know, are are they in a sense credible? Now bear in mind a crazy person can still see a Bigfoot or still see a UFO. Yeah. You, you know,
1: I'm sitting across from one right now. Who does exactly? All
2: see, I rest my case. But, <laughs> but you understand my point, you know? Just because a person is mentally unbalanced and they see something doesn't necessarily mean it's automatically a hallucination or or, or delusion.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think too the the other issue with it, with you know, g- getting to the heart of the story, is isn't it those ghost stories that got us? interested in this in the first place, isn't it the idea of just having that good spooky tale that put this on our radar, you know, to make us say to ourselves, hmm, gee, I wonder if that really is possible. That was a good story, but I wonder what the chances are of that actually happening. I know that, you know, with you, it's the, the, the pursuit of the scientific effort, but even when you're three, four, five, six years old, the idea of a good ghost story is what right. piqued your attention. Well,
2: bear in mind that a lot of people that get into this or get into it from their own because of mm-hmm. looking to answer their own experiences. And yeah, you know, a lot of people will get into it and they'll start looking and reading. And it's like, I can believe that because I experienced something similar to this. Yep. And, and this is that, that akin feeling to uh, the kinship that people feel between each other for having similar experiences, and it goes beyond just the paranormal, but that's what what drives a lot of us in the paranormal.
1: I actually, I I recommend to people who've been in the field, especially those who've been in the field for a long time, and I know in the current wave of the paranormal, a long time means like five or six years, (laughs) but if you've been in the field for a long time, and especially if you've been out investigating quite a bit, you know, take some time off from the disproving and the debunking, from the skepticism and the investigation, and just go get yourself one of those books that we read when we were kids, the collected ghost stories of a certain area, or spooky stories that make you want to leave the light on. Get back into that. Bring a lot of that sensibility back into what you're doing. I'm not saying that you should be going out there into investigations and getting scared, but it'll open your eyes up, because you don't realize that as you're more deeper into the paranormal field, the further you get away from the idea of a ghost being s- scary, <laughs> then the the difference is, is that you want me to go the other way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the, well, then I'm going to turn my whole self. The, but the idea is, the more that you get away from that, the less ghosts become creepy to you, the further you are away from the experience that other people are having when they experience the paranormal. You become so desensitized to it that you can't, Necessarily understand their perspective, so you have say you have a client who calls a paranormal group, and uh, they say, "Hey, you know, we're living with this; it's really bothering us." And and the paranormal group might be like, "Well, you know, gee, we got investigations for the next three or four weeks." And You know, some of my guys are going away, and I I don't know when we can get there. And they put the client basically on a string for six or seven weeks. And I know that it happens, and I understand why it happens. I'm not condemning anybody because it happens. But you lose sight of what it is that that person is experiencing. They're not out there every Saturday night, Sunday night, Friday night, whatever, experiencing the paranormal for themselves. They're having it happen in their own homes, and they're having it happen. Even the smallest little thing that you might scoff at could be traumatic for them. And so I think that a good push back into the ghost story aspect of it will kind of bring you back. Every paranormal investigator who right. crapped all over the movie Paranormal Activity and every horror fan who crapped all over it and said it's not a scary movie, just go back and think of how the regular person who doesn't watch The Exorcist three or four times a week feels about that type of film.
2: You, you hit the nail right on the head again there, Tim. It's, it's The investigator loses the sight of the newness of it because they, they've been experiencing it they've going you're right they're going in they're being immersed in it they've become acclimated if you want to use the technical mm-hmm. term people that aren't used to this you know to them you know hearing uh, your name called in the middle of the middle of the room and you're the only one in the house mm-hmm. yeah that gets a bit disconcerting you know I've had it happen to me you know dozens of times I'm used to it the person that this is their first experience to this they're going to be jumping out of their skin yeah <laughs> so and they
1: need, they need at least some sort of comfort level right away i mean even if you can't get out there and give the full scale investigation just going to the house and and sitting down and talking to them right
2: you know you don't know how many people i've talked down off the ceiling you mm-hmm. know just being on the phone and reassuring them that okay number one you're not necessarily crazy that other people have had these similar experiences that nobody really gets hurt in that you're not alone. You know, you're just reassuring them that, you know, okay, I'm not just going to just believe you because this, um, society tells me I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. Not that there's really any scientific evidence that's ever really proved things one way or the other. But, uh, you know, relax. You know, you're not, you know, in, in this alone. Sure. And it helps them to know that there are other people that are you know are
1: there. Well, the phone lines are open five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Email us spooky crew at SpookySouthCoast.com, dot com or jump in the chat room on spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, dot com, which I've been trying to keep an eye on in case any questions pop up. But I have a trick. It's a little bit dishonest, but I have a trick that I use to help people who are in crisis. And they are having a tough time getting an investigator to come to their house and and, and assuage their fears. I basically just say to them, well, has anybody that you know and died recently? Well, yeah, my uncle died a few weeks ago. Well, maybe it's just your uncle. you know. And I say maybe because I can't be sure. But at least it gives them a little bit of positive reassurance when they hang up the phone that very minute. Now, for all I know, you know, the room that they're in looks like the kid's room from Poltergeist. Yeah, You know, open the door and the Incredible Hulk's riding a horse comes up in your face. But... You know, just those few little bit of words could be comforting enough to help them get through it. I do find, though, that when I talk to people about the paranormal who don't have experiences, people who are like, well, I've never had it happen to me, but I've always wanted it to happen to me. That's why I buy tickets to Legend Trips events and I listen to Spooky South Coast and I I go to haunted tours at Lizzie Borden's house and all kinds of stuff. You know, it. I, I think that those people are just as desensitized as the investigators almost, but in a different way. You know, desensitized means that you no longer, uh, your eyes kind of glaze over with it. You know, if you watch a lot of violent films and you become desensitized to violence. And I don't want to say that you become desensitized when you're an investigator because you don't. Your senses are actually heightened and more sharpened and you're able to detect it a little bit more. But I think the people who are paranormal junkies and want this to happen to them, the same thing happens. Their senses become over amplified and everything becomes paranormal to them. You know it, you see it, oh, you yeah. know, you I deal with all Sorry. And you've probably dealt with cases where you get a client who, you know, tells you how bad things are on the phone or in an email. And then when you get there, they're talking about, well, you know, when I watch this episode of Ghost Hunters, uh-huh. and they can kind of quote to you verbatim every episode of a paranormal Or, or
2: which happens every now and then. Yeah, I'm not going to. Pointing fingers in particular directions, other groups or individuals have gotten to this person ahead of time and wound them up with it's a demonic spirit and mm-hmm. there are twelve other under demons and you know, yeah. You know, when uh, when I actually go through and check the, check out their things, you know, the banging on the floors is actually the expansion and contraction of the heating pipes, you know, because it's now winter time and they just moved up here from Florida and done yeah. re- doesn't realize that heat. What's that? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, wh- one of the other things, too, that I uh, I was thinking about this and I was talking about it with somebody earlier this week, you know, all these people that investigate on TV for TV shows and say, well, you know, I'm still out there investigating not for the show, too. You know, it's not just about the TV show for me. I'm starting to wonder if maybe those people should really just investigate for the TV show. Maybe it's not a bad thing if, for example, Jason and Grant decided not to go investigate any private cases anymore uh, and it said, just focus there, on there's TV there 's a reason cases.
2: why well there 's a reason why they stopped focusing they still do uh, private cases, but they stopped putting them on television because well, they became people started seeking these people out and, that's, from the, the, and that' that's that's, part of
1: that goes along with what i 'm talking about i mean i didn 't mean in terms of investigating private residences for the show. I just meant when they 're not filming going and investigating you know if you 're a TV investigator, maybe you should just stick to investigating for TV for a while. Because just your presence there is giving people false hope that maybe you know this might be an episode of a show. Oh, okay. You see what I'm saying? Like I I've,
2: thought you meant because they didn't really do any more private resident yeah. stuff on television. No, I don't Not mean the on reason, the show. I, I
1: wouldn't. I understand why they got away from it on the televised programs. Yeah. Anyway, because you know you're you're basically turning these people into targets one way or another. You're either yeah. making their dreams come true and making them famous in their eyes and that 's why they called you in the first place, or you 're taking somebody who really didn 't want that level of publicity that didn 't realize what they were getting into
2: and now every, everybody and their brother are knocking on their door hey, can
1: yeah. we bring our group in here? We, we yeah. can help you more than they can the, uh, but, but you know like take for example Keith Johnson, great okay. guy, excellent investigator, one of the, one of the best people in the world and But when Keith comes, I mean I can imagine that he has to explain to a lot of his clients. Look, I know that you've seen me on a lot of TV shows, but we're not here for that. We're here to help you because you said that you needed help. And I'm sure that that's a a, a double-edged sword, you know, getting more exposure for your group by having a television program. But then at the same time, people think that you're going to be on TV. Yeah. So. But such is the state. Why does it always seem to come back to TV shows for us? I think it's just because we just watch a lot of TV. Well, yeah,
2: maybe, uh, or it could be that a lot of, like you said, this stuff has become popular, so it's, TV's inundated with it, and these people on TV, you know, actually are, in a lot of cases, some of our friends. We've watched, I'll give you a good example, these, um, we'll go with Ghost Hunters International, okay? okay. Joe Chin, mm-hmm. you and I were there and helped train <laughs> in, in his, his very first, first class. class.
1: And, and what's funny about that is we were in the class. It was Kristen yeah. Gartland's first class that she was teaching. Teaching, correct. And we're in the class, and at some point she just decided to kind of turn things over to us. us yeah, <laughs> and I don't know why, but because so we were there. Yeah, and and so here we are, like. We're essentially like lecturing on the paranormal to a group of people who are there to learn, and and it's Joe Chin. So it was it's it's funny to look back at that and and think about it, and uh, some of the the connections that we've had with these people along the way has been been kind of funny. Like uh, when when I was talking, you know, to to a member of Chris Williams family, and I'm like, well, Chris was, you know, we were our first radio interview. She's like, really, you were? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, back in 2007, we were the first radio show. She ever- Oh, wow. You know, I mean, even if she's not doing a lot of stuff now, but still, you know, it's 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 just kind of weird when you think about it. You know, it's like, here are these people. Yeah. When Amy Brody jumps, you know, stops by a Legend Trips event. Yeah. And people are like, isn't that? Yeah. 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 Uh,
2: I, I went out to Volcano, California with her mm-hmm. and Jeff, uh, you know, and this is before Amy even came out. She used to call us for, for – for advice and other things. Yep, and,
1: and I used to talk to her about booking <laughs> beyond reality <laughs> yeah, was, and give yeah. her information. For go- and, but that's how it works. You know, that's how when it works, right. That's how it works. When people can help each other and and get the job done. I mean, I know so many people that are like, um, you know, that I've said, hey, I noticed you had this guy on the show. What'd you think? You know, can you share some information, some of the stuff that you talked about? And they're like, well, I don't want to share with another show. Well, why not? The guy's just going to contact me. The guy's already coming on the show anyway. You know, it, it only helps – I like to listen to some – I don't as much as I used to, but I used to listen to the other shows to kind of see the different perspectives and the different conversations that other people took with well, a guest.
2: Back when we first started, there was only a handful of shows you really listened to. Now it's, it, the number is just absolutely outrageous. Yeah, thanks, uh, Blog get, Talk. Well, like I said, when when we were there with uh, Joe Chin, that was in what? Uh, the TAPS headquarters yeah. and when they were still in that place in Warwick, okay? Now they moved to a different place and they've got all new people and you're seeing this continuous rollover. But if you look at it in this respect, it's not going to last that long.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: A lot of these people, you know, they're in it for the television. You know, uh, I can name names, but what would be the point? There are also a core of people that have, that have been on some of these shows that were in it long before the TV came around. And I'm sure that they're going to be there long after it's gone.
1: The the issue with... I guess with trying to continue after the TV shows are done is you don't have that public forum, that public soapbox for the paranormal that you have every week now. So it's going to be challenging. I mean, when these shows start to get canceled, and sooner or later they will, because every show does.
2: I'm, I think it's become such a large thing that there will be at least one or two shows about it that you, think will,
1: all, you think all the time there'll be at least a there couple will, shows? there'll be
2: least, uh, the paranormal has become ingrained in popular popular culture now once something like this comes in it's hard to you know leave it's not it's not necessarily a fad because it was existing before the popularity i'm not talking like well it is a fad i mean it, it, it is a fad but it's not like uh, the old gigapets do you still have a gigapet you understand Shut what I'm notice. saying?
1: Huh? You you know that I still have one. Sorry. <laughs> in fact, it's almost time to feed him. <laughs> but you get I my point. I a Tamagotchi, not a Gigapet. But go uh, ahead. Uh,
2: okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're understanding what I'm saying. I know. I know. You know, the paranormal in doing this was around before. It became mm-hmm. popular, and now its popularity will be on the waning side. But it it's always there and always will be. I think it became such a popular thing that it will have at least some toehold in media
1: it's funny that you say toehold because as you're talking about this i'm thinking of sneakers i'm thinking about how you know for the last 50 years 60 years sneakers have been something that people have worn now there's been different trends of which sneaker brand was the most popular and you know a new one will hit the scene and be popular and then fizzle out and then people will go back to another one but there's always sneakers And so maybe that's a big case. Maybe it will always be paranormal. And, you know, now it might be Ghost Hunters and later it might be, you know, the Matt Moniz Investigation Hour. You know, different TV. (laughs) I'm just saying something else.
2: Well, think about it. There were paranormal shows when television really first started. There's always been some form of, you know, weird, you know. Well, the news. Nothing stranger than that. Tell me about it. (laughs) But uh, I'm talking back in uh, television history. There, there were always, um, you know, the Outer Limits and Twilight Zones. And, and
1: even before thing. them, they might not have been weekly series, but they had little one-off dramatic live shows right. that might have had something of a paranormal theme.
2: Yes, there, there had been ghost story shows. Yep. Yes. I mean, the ghost stories were some of the bigger bigger radio programs mm-hmm. back when radio first came out. You know, spooky hours of this and that. In me.
1: fact, if you listen to pretty much any old time radio show, whether it be on the Internet or on terrestrial radio, chances are when you tune in, it's going to be some type of a ghost story.
2: Right. Speaking of which, we should do another one of those. That was you know, a the, lot of fun. the
1: last time that I talked to the people that were involved Somebody, with it. Yeah. They had a phenomenal plan that if it comes to fruition, it's just going to be extremely unique. Remember a few years ago, well, probably like almost 20 years ago now, when, when Stephen King released The Green Mile, yeah. and he released it as a serial the way that Dickens used to release his yep. books? They have an idea that's similar to that. They're going to give you episodes like the old-time radio shows used to do, building yep. to an overarching story for an entire season. And if everything works out, and I don't want to let too much of the, the cats out of the bag here, but if it all works out, we're going to be getting an episode... Every couple of weeks that we can play on the show for, like, a four or five-minute segment, like, stay tuned for the latest episode. And I just think that that's going to be just so awesome.
2: You know how many people have said to me that I really loved that old episode? You know, Still one even of the most it, downloaded shows. I had a lot of fun with it. And it was one of these uh, things that people said, I let my kids listen to it. Mm-hmm. We you had know, kids out we here. We had kids outside watching. Yeah, that that's what made it great.
1: And the best part about that is how we pulled it off with virtually no rehearsal.
2: Uh, yeah, we had, what, one day's worth?
1: We had a table table reading before we came in and did the show, like a couple hours before we went on the air. And I think I might have been able to get scripts out to people a day or two ahead of time just yep. for them to look it over. But it just was, it was perfect casting. You know, everybody came in and, and had just the right role, and uh, it, it worked out. I mean, that was... Radio magic. And I don't mind tooting our horn by saying that. It was a magical thing. And I know that, you know, they did what they do. It's a wonderful life here yep. in the studio at Christmas time. I'm glad they did, but we did it first. Yep. If you haven't heard that episode, just go back to the archives on com or check it out on iTunes. Uh, it was called The Possession of the Church. Now, the whole show was a three-hour episode dedicated to old-time radio. Correct. The first hour was – the first two hours, I think, were discuss- – no, the first hour was a discussion, discussion about old-time radio. Time radio. Correct. Then the middle hour was the performance, and then the last hour we talked about how the performance all came together. So it, it really is – Pretty, pretty special, and it's worth checking out. And even if you don't want to listen to the entire episode, The Possession of the Church does exist as its own standalone download as well. So we have it up there both ways. So If you want to check it out, I highly
2: recommend it. But getting back to the topic you were discussing, yes, there is going to be some form of um, paranormal show, even if it goes back to the old In Search of Type movies or, or television series. Is going to be something, something like it, yeah. You know, we had In Search of, we had... Unsolved Mysteries. we, yeah. We had...
1: Psy um, Factor. Of, we uh, had uh, Factor Fake, paranormal file, Files, all these different shows.
2: Uh, yeah, there's...
1: X-Files, even. X-Files. Even if you want to count, you know, uh, Night Stalker, you want to count fictionalized shows. Right,
2: but I'm saying there's always been some form of it in the media, so... And, I,
1: and and now what we're seeing in these trends in mass media, we are seeing trends where vampires become popular, zombies become popular. I'm guessing werewolves, werewolves are probably next. But you're, you're getting these topics that are hitting mass media and pop culture and ingraining themselves. So all of a sudden it's not so weird to have an interest – in vampires or zombies anymore because well there's a cool show on television about those so i watch them all right we have a call here again if you want to call in 508 996 500 996 1420 and uh, let me just make sure the caller is brought up here good evening around spooky south coast how you doing hey how's going guys oh we are spectacular how about you
0: I'm doing pretty good, and I I almost totally missed the fact you guys are on at 6 o'clock tonight.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's an early show, just before the Bruins game.
0: Cool. You know, you were just talking about the TV shows, and I wanted to bring up one that I thought was a really, really great premise, and it really sucked me in back in, like, the 90s, was that show Fear that MTV had.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. It kind of took the average person and put them in the haunted place with nothing, just their senses to kind of
1: work with. And, and that was the precursor for the, the paranormal shows that we have today, really, more than anything. True. Because it, it basically defined the, the cinema verite style that they use in these shows.
0: Yeah, and I, that was the type of thing that really brought me into wanting to, to, not really research, but at first, legend trip almost, you know, to get out there and mm-hmm. experience these places for myself. Um, of course, the Ghost Hunter Show comes along, and now it's, it's about the investigations and stuff. And you had touched on it earlier. I think that the ghost story itself is kind of what we have to get back to. It's, we're losing that human side of things if yeah. we get too skeptical and too much into the technology and everything.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I, I try to avoid as much of the toys as I can now on investigations and try and just be there. and experience. And especially with Legend Trips events because so many people are operating devices. I don't have to, to be there. But just in the course of an investigation, I, I kind of just want to experience it. And I want to... Maybe it's the journalist in me. Maybe it's the lazy guy in me that doesn't want to review evidence later on. Whatever it might be, you know, I want to be there and be in the moment.
2: Well, well, I, here's the way I look at it. You do an investigation in two parts. You do it in a personal phase where you're in the in the person's home, talking to them, or wherever you want to meet them, or how they're in your personal, person to person, getting their story, getting a feel for who they are, interpreting their their quirks in this and that and uh, getting a feel for who they really are. And then you have the physical phase of the investigation. If you're, if you're satisfied enough in the personal investigation, in the personal phase, mm-hmm. that's when you progress on to the physical phase of bringing out the equipment and doing that aspect of it. You're validating. The physical phase is a validation of the personal phase. Uh, that's the way I I, I view it.
1: Well, I, I do think that you're right, caller, about the changes in the, you know, the way that people perceive it. Fear did it in a way that it was, it was almost like they were trying to freak them out so badly that they went out, out of there running. I mean, I, I don't remember, it was a game show, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, you, the the person that kind of stayed in the longest got the most points or whatever, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I mean, and and basically they ripped off the same idea with Celebrity Paranormal Project. <laughs> And it was, I think they even went to some of the same locations. But don't forget, I mean, Fear is a show that kind of put Waverly Hills on the map for a lot of people, too.
0: True. Yeah, and there was one with Linda Blair, too. I can't remember the name of it. They had uh, the woman from uh, Poltergeist, I believe, did the voiceovers yes. for it. But uh, They had the, family, the families going to different places, too.
1: And that, that was actually, that was one of the shows that Ghost Adventures got involved with early on, right? Correct. So, I mean, there's there's been a lot of these type of shows. I mean, to you, what what, what do you say is probably the one that you know change the game i mean is it ghost hunters is it the way that they did it or i mean i would say that you know it's actually it was paranormal state and ghost adventures that changed it more than ghost hunters because uh, ghost hunters was pretty akin to what we had seen in the past from serious investigations uh it was ghost adventures and and definitely paranormal state that decided to take it in more of a darker sexier fashion
0: Oh yeah, the, those two shows definitely branched out. It was with the demons and everything else, you know, and kind of bringing in every facet that we hear about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really think that Ghost Hunters was the game changer um, for a lot of us. I, I know myself; I didn't really catch a lot of shows that had the actual investigations going on. I, I liked shows like Sightings and um, In Search of. Yeah. Uh, the, the stories at first—that was the stuff that really stuck me, in because I'd had my experiences and. I was seeing more of what other people were going through and kind of gauging what I had happened to what I was seeing. And then Ghost Hunters came on. We had to see how people went and researched, actually researched it. So it was, I think that was the, really the game changer. Um, the rest of them just kind of prepared, repackaged everything and reintroduced a lot of the different ideas.
1: Yeah. I, I do think that. Uh some of the fictional shows probably paid just as much, played just as much of a role uh, in, in what we do today, too.
2: And, this, and thanks to John, is the scariest places on Earth. With there you
1: go. And I do want to mention Thursday Jones in the chat room mentioned a paranormal theme show, uh, and that being Quantum Leap. And I would put Quantum Leap as one of the few shows that was on par with The Twilight Zone in terms of the storytelling and the lessons behind what they were saying and the way that they used a, a paranormal twist to get the lessons out there. So. Mm. All right, well, thank you for the call.
0: No problem. Have a great night, guys. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
1: Of course, I knew who that was, but I just say yeah. caller, so it makes it sound like it's not you know our loyal audience always calling and bailing us out when we have to talk for 45 minutes straight. Speaking of which, why don't we take a break? we got some commercials to play. Coming up in just a little bit, uh, it's the Bruins. They'll be starting at 8.30 p.m. here on WBSM, uh, the Bruins and the L.A. Kings. Tomorrow here on WBSM, uh, it'll be... Uh, the 1 p.m. game with the Sox and the Toronto Blue Jays, the Red Sox, of course, just weeks away from officially starting things off. And then at 7.30, it'll be the Bruins and the Ducks. So the Mighty Ducks, Monies, is actually a hockey team. I don't know if you know that. Yes. Okay. Actually, hockey's one of the few sports that you watch, right?
2: That I watch a little bit of hockey because my roommate watches mm-hmm. it. and It's kind of a nostalgia thing from when I was a kid. My father was a big hockey fan. And football. I cannot stand baseball. I loathe it. I'd rather watch paint dry than some know, if you guys to go to a game,
1: sometimes it's like watching paint dry. Thank <laughs> you. Know, than basketball? You don't like basketball?
2: Don't like basketball. Don't like golf. Don't like tennis. Yeah.
1: You know. Well his favorite sport
2: involves people with weapons and yes. people, sl- you know. <laughs> and
1: pretty much any sport with weapons yeah. you're a big fan of. In fact, if they use those baseball bats more the way you use them in a game, you might be more yeah. interested. All right, so stay tuned. We'll be, con- we'll be back in just a few seconds here on Spooky South Coast. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. We're coming up on just the final moments of the program. We did have a call that dropped off. We had had some sticky buttons over here on the computer. Apologize for that. Uh, But uh, coming up at 8.30, we do have the Bruins and the LA Kings that will be carried here live on WBSM. Again, tomorrow, Sunday, Sox in Toronto at 1 p.m., 7.30, Bruins and Ducks. It's going to be a sports-filled rest of the weekend for you here on WBSM. And, of course, we'll be back next Saturday night at our regular time of sometime after 10 p.m we usually shoot for 10:15, but uh that's the the hopefully normal start time of the program where we talk about the paranormal and uh, i think next week we do have a guest lined up uh chris, chris will let me know who it is but normally we do have a guest and we do have interviews uh on the show but just with the time change tonight our guest was unable to join us so uh you know, we'll we'll be back in the groove next week, and of course, in the weeks coming forward, we have a lot of cool stuff lined up. I'm excited because we will be talking about voodoo on an upcoming show, which is something that we've never discussed before.
2: But have practiced regularly. Well, you may have. <laughs>
1: uh, I'm not really sure how it works, so I'm hoping that when we have this guest on, he can kind of describe to me how it works, and then I can put it to practical use. And there's actually, you know, there's a lot of differences in voodoo, hoodoo, voodoo. You know all these different things that people don't realize. So we're going to talk about Sanctuary. all that. Yeah, I mean there's there's basically there's versions of it, uh, and including the Portuguese culture uh, from right. Brazil, they have their own version of it as well. So, yes. which was an interesting thing that I found out in writing the book Haunted Objects uh, on a case that John Brightman supplied us with. You know, so I was able to kind of tie that in. I might have been Macomba. making a leap, but yeah, and it was really interesting what the the you know, when we brought that aspect into the story, it started to make a lot of sense when before that it kind of didn't before. So very interesting stuff. And we'll be talking about it coming up on an upcoming episode. Uh, Also as well, one more time, I'll remind you the tickets for graveyard shift at Slater mill are still on sale, but they're going fast. They're available on spooky South coast.com. And of course they're also available on legend trips.com. Remember you can also get a special, Deal that night You can pay $99 For your ticket For the event Which is an outstanding deal And then you can also Pay $79 To stay at the Comfort Inn In Pawtucket Which is just a mile away From Slater Mill So if you're yawning Like Moniz After the event You only have to go A mile down the street To get to your hotel Can't go wrong with that I mean that's an amazing deal So basically You're looking at $179 To have an action-packed Paranormal Investigation Night and only have to travel a little while to be able to go to bed. So legendtrips.com is the website. Stay tuned to that. Sign up for the mailing list. Mailing list gets you early access to all of our pre-sale events. And we've got a couple coming up that you're definitely going to want to be getting on the pre-sale for because the tickets will fly fast for them. <clears throat> Lizzie Borden, And you'll want to make sure that you can have first crack at those. So uh, we are coming up on the end of the program. But, again, please join us next Saturday night. 10:15 15 eastern time all the way until midnight and if you're just discovering the show for the first time download all of our past episodes at spooky south itunes you can watch the in-studio video uh, we have all the recorded videos on youtube slash youtube.com slash spooky south coast so until next week stay spooktacular